Good morning, Westview. Uh, before I begin, let me just quickly, just small round of applause, bigger, I don't know. But one thing that I've noticed is, I really appreciate, is Westview is rich in musical talent. Um, I'm used to not having as much talent around. So you guys can have a seat, by the way. Please, please have a seat. Um, but Westview, like, like, Tyler can be the discipleship pastor, and then in case of emergencies, he can play the guitar and lead worship. I was just making a joke earlier to him that maybe we can do a rotation every week, like, just pick a roll out of the hat. Hey, by the way, you're preaching today. Oh, Pastor Gary gets to pull the, hey, I'm playing bass today. I don't know what to do with that. But no, the one thing, I, I do really appreciate that, and it's really cool to see, because there's so many people on the worship team uh, finding their ways to serve. And, and I'd actually like to, first, before I even get into speaking, I'd like to start some of you off in that direction. So if you're a youth, a kid, a teen, uh, or, you're gonna, or if you just never picked up an instrument before, I'm going to ask you to come a little bit close. We have these open uh, rows of chairs here, not by design, but it just happens that way. But come on and come, come a little close here because I want to show you something. I'm going to start you off on your first musical lesson if you've never had one before. So teens and youth, if you guys want to come a little closer, I'm going to need you to watch something very, very clear here. Um, it's called Chords. Can you guys see, like, my hands? I, I can only come so far because the cords are... So, yeah, come on up here. Like, like, come, come, come look at my hands real quick. Like, get as close as you think you can. Just don't knock that over. All right. Okay. So, and, and obviously this isn't for the kids, but you guys are going to be really, really crucial to this because I need you to make sure that my, these, this hand right here is not going to change. Or it, it's... I need you to make sure that what you see is real, okay? So um, this is a quick run-through for everyone here. Uh, for those of you guys in the back, this is a G chord. Can you guys see this here? You see that? You see that? Okay. Do you hear that? That's a sound that comes when you have this chord. All right. Can you, can you guys see that? Okay, let's do, we'll do a couple other chords. We're going to do uh, an A chord. All right, and that's just three fingers in a line right there. You see that? Do you guys see that over there? You guys all see that? Okay, good, good. You guys are all gonna be future worship leaders. It's gonna be great. Let's do let's do another one. It's a D chord. This one's my favorite because it's, it's so easy. It's a triangle. You make a triangle like that. Can you see that? You guys can see that? Okay. That's what it sounds like. Everyone, catch that? Can you guys in the crowd all see that, that that's a D chord? And that's what a D chord sounds like? All right, rock stars, all of you. I want you to do a test with me. I'm going to invite you guys on a quick test of how this works. Okay, so which chord was this one? Does anyone remember? Ah. Okay, and that sounds like a... A, a G. Good job. Give yourselves a hand real quick. All right. Um, I'm going to ask the uh, people in the back to just, uh, the soundboard to give me just a little bit more juice. All right. Did you notice anything? Anyone notice anything? Okay. Maybe 
we can continue this test. This is really cool. Let's get a little bit more juice in there. Let's throw in some power. Did anyone catch it yet? You sure? Yeah, that was really confident. You sure? I'm going to need you to use both your eyes and your ears because something's going on here. All right? That's very, very crucial. All right? Got a nod over there. One more time. Let's see if we can kick it a little up there. Did anyone notice what maybe didn't happen? Someone tell me what happened. What happened? Anyone? What do you think happened? What did you notice? Yeah. You think you got louder because of my fingers changed? Did, did my fingers change at all? No. Did my fingers change at all? Did the sound change at all? Yes. How did it change? Yeah. It did change. How did it change? Uh, it got louder. Why did it get louder? Did my fingers change? Let's make sure. Let's make sure. I need you guys to check me. Did my fingers change anyone? Anyone over there? Did I do it a little harder? Okay, I'm going to do the same strum. But can we, let's let's a little bit more juice there. I'm going to ask him to give it a little bit more power. Ready? You guys ready? Watch closely. Okay. What changed? Did the tone, did the note change? No. I want you to think about this. Just for, for you kids who are going to be sticking around, there's going to be more that kind of goes around with this. But power does not change anything. Power reveals only what's there. How high can we go? <laughs> Jordan, are, are, we, are we pushing it yet? Or? Can, we, can we do it like a quick spectrum test? Like let's, let's see what the ceiling is. Acceptable ceiling to all you guys? I don't know if he's gonna do it or not. Let's give it, okay, we're gonna give it a try. Maybe close your ears just in case. I don't know. I, I'm trusting Jordan on this one. That, with all the amplification given to it, is still a G chord. Can we go all the way to the bottom? Just the barest whisper. Can we try that? Is it still a G chord? Perfect. Power doesn't change anything. It only reveals what's there. And I hope you guys can remember that because you're going to encounter power in a lot of places as you grow up. I guarantee you someone's going to probably be upset with you or frustrated with you. And they're going to be a little bit mean to you. I'm sorry, but that's part of the reality. And I want you to remember, that's because that's what's there. All right? Some people are going to be incredibly kind and loving and generous to you. I promise you. And the cool part is, it's the same thing. It's because that's what's there.
You don't have to stay seated here. Thank you for being such amazing observers. You guys can go grab your seats. No. <laughs> All righty. Thank you for joining me on that little uh, audio adventure. Um, this is part of what I was compelled to uh, craft a sermon around. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Emmanuel. Some of the kids call me Maui. I am the interim youth and young adult pastor here. And it's been a pleasure to be able to minister to your teens. And, and, and like I said, like, uh, it, it's so incredible to see a congregation so rich in the talents of music. And, and, and not only rich, but also generous in the way that you serve, not just obviously up here, but uh, with uh, some of my young adults are constantly on rotation on the back so if you find it in your heart to, to find a place to serve, there's many places here at Westview. Um, in the time that I have been at Westview, a short year, not once have we ever done a foot washing. Anyone notice that? Can I ask, anyone here remember the last time Westview did foot washing, if ever? Tyler, no, yeah? Never. Okay, that is perfect, because one of the things I want to highlight to you uh, isn't, isn't so much foot washing, but we'll get to that, but it's actually implications, the meaning of the ritual of foot washing. Um, I come from a denom- I, I grew up in a denomination where foot washing was common, and uh, it was always interesting because we, we always washed our feet the morning of, like, in preparation. We're like, oh, man, people are going to see my feet. I better scrub them. <laughs> and so it, it actually, in, in, when it, by the time I get to the end of this, you'll realize it kind of defeated the purpose. But we don't understand, like, like just the majority of the Christian world today, we don't understand foot washing. So I'm going to break it down a little bit for you. Um, in an ancient context, foot washing was necessary because of certain factors. I'm going to list them. First off, all your travel, unless you were rich and had a uh, biological vehicle, a horse, donkey, all your travel was done by foot. You walked everywhere. It's not too bad. It kind of kept you healthy. It's not too bad. Except that um, the, the roads that you were using for transportation, the pathways that we, you were used, were largely dirt unless the Roman Empire came, conquered you, and built a road. And even then, there were still things, like I mentioned, biological vehicles that were fueled by some form of grain or grass. And uh, that's, all, that's all good and all, except that it comes with the uh, unfortunate, unfortunate. It, it smelled unfortunate. The, the byproduct of biological vehicles, and and it's cool. I get to say this word. I checked with the uh, the pastors one day when I was crashing the sermon. Poop. I got to, there. You go. I got to say poop from the stage of a church. Cross that bucket list uh, right off. But they came with these things. Okay. So so you had dust. You had dirt. You said yes. Don't don't ask him. You said yes too. <laughs> He was there. You, you, had, you had biological waste that did not smell good. And that factor is one piece. The second piece is this. When you ate in the ancient Middle East, actually maybe even still, when you ate, they didn't have tables and chairs like we do. They had an interesting way of uh, eating together, and that was to just sit down on the floor, on the rugs. And 
So you can already see a little bit of a problem. How many, how many people wash their hands before they eat? Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't, don't. Just, <laughs> just, just you understand the concept of washing your hands before you eat. Um, so now you can understand washing your feet before you enter a building, a room, or most likely a dining area. It's probably not uh, pleasant to eat if things like dust, dirt, and poop. <laughs> the kids are like, he says poop a lot. These things are present. And so the ancient cultures would have a practice that was more practical. It was a ritual they had that was common courtesy to wash their feet. I'm sure they washed their hands too. Wipe off the day's travel, if you will, and change a bit of the atmosphere, obviously for sanitary reasons, but also because you want to sit down and enjoy each other. And so that's the historical context that we have for washing feet. And there's this added idea as well, is that you didn't wash your own feet. Someone else washed your feet. Someone would dress up in manual labor wear. You can't Im I can't imagine someone wearing a suit and then washing other people's feet, maybe in like really high establishments. But usually somebody else washed their feet. And so you can imagine that you already don't want to be the person stuck washing people's feet. Or maybe you do, I don't know. And because we don't have a modern context, I want to explain that. But more than that, as we jump into what I'd like to present to you today, it's not just the physical ritual that's important, although there's much to understand. It is the implications of the physical ritual, the realities of the physical ritual that make the implications even deeper. And so that's something that I want to be able to join, jump into with you. It's found this story, this ritual foot washing that we've gained in Christianity, is found in John 13. So if you have a phone, you can turn there. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. I'm going to walk with you through this. And there's a couple things I'd like to point out. Not so much the foot washing, but again, just the implications behind it all. John 13 opens the first couple of verses. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Jesus, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from the Father and was going to God. The first three verses do this really interesting thing. When I was studying this, I was able to break this down to three movements. And this first third, this first area, is really simple. You can just call it the, uh, the area where Jesus knew. Let's go through it again. And I want, I want to highlight a couple of the things that Jesus knew here. Jesus knew, one of the things that Jesus knew, it's also in uh, verse 11, that he was going to be betrayed, to be betrayed, and he was going to die. It's an interesting thing when you come to a place where you're dealing with your own demise. Some of you kids probably haven't experienced that, but I can imagine most of the people here have probably been in a tight corner where you had to face that down. He also knew that he had all power. Different translations will put it um, 
in that he had all things in heaven and earth were placed into his hands. Uh, that's the ancient Hebrew way of saying just the universe, everything that we know, existence. He also knew, and this is one of my favorite parts, is the father, he was going to the father. He had come from the father. The father had given him all things. He understood his frame of existence. He understood his why. It's really important. And then lastly, he loved to the furthest end. It doesn't read like that. It's actually uh, a fancy. No, it was actually not that fancy. It's uh, emphasis. It's reduplication. You say the same thing twice, and that gives it emphasis. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Uh, some, some commentaries actually say to the furthest extreme possible. And that is what Jesus knew. Which is really important to remember because what comes next is the part where Jesus did. It's important to understand something that we just showed the, the kids is from the inside, from the heart, come our actions. And so from what Jesus realized internally comes the actions. The actions are this. First, in verse 4, it says, He rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took towel, and girded himself. What did he do there? He dressed himself. But not just dressed himself, he dressed himself a certain way. To look like a servant. In verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The second thing that Jesus did here is he acted. It's really important to remember that if you love, if love is real, it, it, it brings out certain actions. And so uh, the, the first and the front end that I'd like to make sure we set up properly, this idea of Jesus knew certain things. He had internal realities that he was intimately experienced with, and that produced certain actions. The actions that made him look and act like a servant. He washed their feet. Jesus touched poop. And that's a really important phrase. I, I know it's, it's kind of comical, but I want you to say that to yourself in your head because what comes next is actually what most of us would probably feel. It's a bit of an affront because Peter says, first he says a challenge. He asks a question. And then he presents a denial. In verse 6, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, yes. You don't understand now, but you will understand later. And then immediately right after that, Peter says, no, you are not going to wash my feet. Because to Peter, what was presented in that moment, the person that he considered rabbi and Lord, was doing something that he doesn't know. It's not the way that Peter thought the world worked. To, to give you some background on, on the way Peter experienced existence in that context, the Jewish culture, you'll find in other point, parts of the Bible, emphasized that 
Riches and health are to be sought after. Those are the deemed gifts of God. If God, if you were healthy and wealthy, God loves you. Jews would naturally step over the poor and the sick and the needy because they legitimately deemed them cursed by God. God didn't like you. That's what they thought. Another area is the fact that they would have the rabbis, those were teachers and lawyers, the people who sought after a position in society. They would claw and climb the social ladder using uh, education. And if you were a rabbi, you were at the top. All right? And in other places of the Bible, Jesus points out the fact that even the rabbis lorded the power over the common people. And so for Peter, having grown up in this environment, having experienced this form of how the world worked, saw his teacher, his rabbi, the person he deemed worthy of his respect, on his knees, dressed like a servant, touching feet, making them clean. And everything that we've processed so far, the idea of foot washing was important to explain to you because now you understand more of the implications that are greater than the ritual. The ritual is just washing feet. You wash your hands all the time. But it's not the same. You have to process the idea that legitimately Peter saw this person of power wiping manure off feet. And you can now understand how strange and almost a bit of a slap in the face of that was feel because Peter in this story is us. We also have grown up, experienced the world in a way that says this is how it works. It doesn't take too long or too far to look out your window or in your rearview mirror to see that the way humans make it work is by clawing and grabbing and keeping power for themselves and defending it from anyone who to try to take them in whatever form it takes. In, in across the world, in the globe, you can probably see that Whoever has power just uses it in whatever gross expression they can find it, whatever ways they deem fit. And here, right now in the West, although we do have some peace and stability, it's just behind the veil. It's barely held back by law and legality. Most of the world, as we've seen through and post-COVID, is fearful, self-preserving, and mindful of their own promotion and comfort. It's, as, as, as I work with the kids, it's something that I've always known that I, I don't know how to break it to you. When I talk to the youth, it's something I can see that has shattered a bit of their childhood. As they grow up into this world, the thing that we've had to deal with as adults has come and has knocked on their intellectual spiritual door and that's that's one of my favorite reasons why i like to work with the youth is because they're 
constantly evaluating every little thing. Those of you who have had children or have children know that they're watching you. They're looking at how you navigate life because they're trying to figure it out just the same. And it just breaks the heart to know that we have no answer for this. At least most of the world does not. And that, that's where God steps in and he whispers, there's another way. There's a better way. Because right after Peter has this interesting moment where he denies and challenges Jesus washing his feet, he finally gives in. It's actually kind of a comical idea. I don't know. If, if you go ahead and read this on your own. I'm going to try not to like create this own story, but it, it like, I'd like to imagine that Peter and Jesus are bros. Like they've been together for a while. So they're, they're comfy, you know, like Jesus has already washed a couple other people's feet. And then he comes to Peter and he's like, all right, Peter, your turn. And Peter's like, are you serious? And, and, and Jesus isn't like condescending. He's like, yes, it'll be fun. Try it. And, and Peter, obviously, you can, you can still see this narrative that he's holding in his mind. He's like, no, don't touch my feet, which is something we can all kind of understand these days. Don't, don't touch my feet. And, and, and Jesus goes through and walks so patiently with Peter. He says, if, if you don't do this, you don't have any part with me. And, and this, this, this actually reveals a little bit of the insidiousness, the lingering deep down problem of sin sickness that still held Peter. Because Peter was just like the world he experienced. He didn't look at the power that the Romans had, the military might that they had used to conquer Israel as necessarily like opposed he didn't look at the authority of the rabbis or the other jews or society that he was part of as something that he was opposed to he just wanted it on his side the depth of his sin sickness revealed and and it goes further on in the crucifixion story where even at gethsemane it's it's blatant peter would have used power to get what he wanted the ways other humans use power. And Jesus presents this incredible idea. Um, after he finishes washing Peter's feet, he tries to land the lesson and he's talking to the disciples. And as I was studying this, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's par for the story. It's pretty common. I don't know how, how biblically literate most of you guys are, but like, yeah, I get it. Jesus does a thing, reaches a problem. And then he resolves it, he teaches, cool. And, and I've had to submit my manuscript to Pastor Gary probably three or four times because he was adamant that there was more. And, and, and I, I'm really excited to present this idea to you because in verse 16, he says this really, really weird phrase. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And in my mind, when I read that several times, and the many times that Pastor Gary says, and I'll go look again, you know, 
it always sounded the same to me. It always sounded like, oh, wait a sec. This sounds like Jesus going back on his word because he's, Jesus it sets himself up. He's like, you call me master. You call me rabbi and Lord, and rightly so. Like, wait a minute. So Jesus goes back on his word, back on his actions, and prescribes a power over hierarchy? Until it clicked. And instead of seeing the disciples, or us, in the position of servant and messenger, and seeing Jesus as master, or the one who sent the message, what Jesus is actually saying is, I am the servant and the messenger, and God is the master and the one who sent me. And what the implication now becomes is that the God of the universe would wash your feet. It's mentioned several times, and that's, that's where it kind of came to me. In several other times in John, it says, I and the Father are one. And it also says, if you have seen, the fa- seen me, you have seen the Father. Because Jesus came to be the most beautiful invitation to God that anyone could conceive of. Across all tribes and societies in the world, every religion, every theology, whether it be Egyptian or Nordic, whether it be uh, Aztec or Oriental, I don't, I don't know too much about Oriental religions, they all have a power structure and a spirituality that requires you to become worthy of the God you worship. And only in Christianity, only here in the Bible, do you see the complete inversion of this idea. You see a God coming down, not, not to just romantically die for you, not to create this heroic scene where, oh man, he was so good. I love the fact that he died for me. It's true. It's important. But what is even more significant for us here and now in this time is to remember that God came down and he allowed himself to be represented as someone who would touch poop. The dirt off someone else's feet. The weariness and travel from a neighbor or even more so a stranger. Just like what we saw with the guitar and the sound and the amplification of power. Power doesn't change anyone. It only reveals what's there. And when all things had been given into the hand of Jesus, the representation that he gave of the creator of the universe was flawless. It was perfect love, total other-centeredness. I, I honestly could go on and on. Like if you if you ever get a chance and you have nothing to do, if you're ultimately bored, come and like sit in the office um, and, and like listen to Pastor Gary rant and like just all of us just nerd out about the Bible. Like I fully encourage you. We've wasted so many hours being excited about this story. 
And, and, and I want you to read this for yourself. I can sit here and I can stand here and I can tell you all these amazing things, but it doesn't make sense unless you experience it intimately for yourself. And that's what's the beauty of the story is because is there not a more beautiful invitation to draw close to God than the fact that he would, he would take on shame for you? He has no consideration for himself. I've, I've found in the few relationships that I've been part of is that's the most important quality that really makes it all stick is the other-centeredness. A divine level of other-centeredness is the way the universe actually works. And so the contrast is presented between how we've experienced it, we've grown up, we've been injured by it, where there's a clawing, there's a seeking for self-preservation. And we thought, there's still times, we've been, we know this, we've been coming to church for a while, but we, we still feel it every once in a while where there's this desire to preserve self over anyone else. And God comes in and he presents to you, and I invite you to step into that presentation, that invitation more and more, that that's not how the world works. The world, the universe, is fashioned after its creator. It runs on love, other-centeredness. And so, so if this is your first time here, this is your first time listening, um, if you've been questioning how you feel about God, maybe you've been hurt by the church, maybe you had a bad experience, I'd like to invite you to just read this. Let it sink in. Let it become deep. Because by beholding, we become changed. The more you let a God of love come close to you, the more you become like him. Did you know that actually there's a psychological study that shows that meditating on a God of love, it doesn't have to be some, it was, it was an objective study, but it was done um, to see what the effects were. And meditating, or, or as we call it here, praying on a God of love for at least a minimum 12 minutes a day actually fights uh, deteriorating brain conditions, things like Alzheimer's and dementia. It's incredible. The opposite is also true. Focusing or believing that the universe is organized on a God of fear and punishment it creates earlier onset of those same conditions. And so I invite you to experience life more fully for your own good. Draw closer to this God of love. And, and for all of us here, for this amazing family that you've been Westview, I encourage you Grow in that love. Grow in that same divine God-likeness. It's, it's amazing, again, like I said, to see a congregation and a church so enriched by the people who serve here. And I encourage you to do more. It's a wonderful thing to be able to serve such a quality product on this side of the counter. And, and speaking on behalf of the pastoral staff and the admin staff, come, come on our side of the counter and help us move this product. Be part of the whole thing. I'm going to invite um, the worship team back up. And we, we also do have communion. But I want to leave you with this idea. And I'm going to make it odd. It has to be odd because I want it to stick. As we go back out into the world, as we face the week and the challenges and the months that are going to be carrying us forward, 
there's going to be the pull of the world again to bring you back into that mindset, that mentality. Seek to promote self. Preserve yourself. Hoard your resources. Invite fear, doubt, anxiety into your mind. And the weapon that you get to use from now on is the fact that you know God washes feet. 